0: Rhetoric is a much misunderstood word. A lot of folks dismiss speeches as just rhetoric, as if to say that words don't matter, but they do. They matter because they move people. Plato called rhetoric the art of enchanting the soul. Millennia later, Edward R. Murrow observed that Winston Churchill had mobilized the English language and sent it into battle in World War II. Words can convince. They can depress. And when things are tough, when the odds are long, when defeat seems more likely than victory, they can motivate. Think about Newt Rockne, the Notre Dame coach who cited the dying George Gipps' words to rally the boys. Breaks are beating the boys.
2: Ask them to go in there with all they've got. Win just one for the kipper.
0: Or Herb Brooks, the miracle on ice coach in the 1980 Olympics. You were born to be hockey players. Every
1: one of you. And you were meant to be here tonight.
3: This is your time. Now go out there and take it.
0: or about a very young man in the midst of processing an unexpected defeat in Florida. A young man who made his fans, his team, and his God a promise.
3: We are live from Ben Hill Griffin Stadium at Florida Field, where today the fourth-ranked Florida Gators meet the unranked Ole Miss Rebels.
0: It was Saturday, September 27, 2008, at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium in Gainesville, Florida. The University of Florida Gators were supposed to be undefeated. They were supposed to be invincible. They were supposed to crush every opponent. Here's Bone, touchdown Florida! But nobody Toto, missed that. And in a surprise upset, the Rebels defeated the Gators.
3: The Ole Miss Rebels have upset the Gators here in the Swamp today, 31 and Florida 30.
0: Which brought the losing quarterback to the press room.
1: I just want to say one thing to the fans and everybody in Gator Nation. I'm sorry, I'm extremely sorry. You know, we were hoping for an undefeated season, that was my goal, something Floor's never done here. But I promise you one thing a lot of good will come out of this.
0: It was short, 30 seconds or so. But great speeches are often brief, they cut to the chase, to the heart of things. And that's what Tim Tebow did. I'm Doc Rivers, and this is It Was Said Sports. Episode 4, Tim Tebow's Promise. Sometimes, you know, people like
3: Tim, they make you feel uncomfortable because you self-check. You know, you kind of wake up one day and go, man, I got to do better. I
2: mean, those are the standards, the characteristics, the
1: stop signs. He lives by that faith. It was a choice of my attitude, my effort, my focus, and our team's attitude, effort, and focus. That was something that was in our grasp, and it was a choice of the will.
0: Tim Tebow had always wanted two things, to be right with Jesus in heaven, and to lead a football team to glory on the field. When he was six years old, He worried about going to hell.
1: I was born in the Philippines and lived there for the first five years of my life. My parents were and still are missionaries faith was a big part of our family. And everything that encompassed you know, following Jesus is also loving people. And so I got amazing examples of my mom and dad truly spending pretty much the majority of their adult lives of helping people that could never do anything for them. And I think that made a huge example on me as a young boy of being able to, to see what love looks like in a sacrificial form. I got to see my parents do that all the time, and that makes a huge impact
0: He wanted to accept Jesus as his personal Savior, but when he went to his father, a missionary and a preacher, he found himself frustrated by questions about the gospel. Questions posed, Thibault recalls, to make sure I was not taking this decision lightly. Finally, young Thibault went to his mother. I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart, he told her. I'm ready to be saved. I tried with dead, but he's just too hard. Mother and son prayed together, and the confession of faith was made. To celebrate, the family went to Epcot. A consummately American story. The fear of death. The hope of heaven. And a trip to Disney. There's nothing new about the intersection of Christianity and football. Fans waved John 316 placards long before Tim Tebow etched the citation in his eye black. The reenactment of the ancient rituals of pain and victory, of comebacks and upsets, has always evoked biblical stories like David and Goliath. When Tebow put John 316 in his eye black during a game, he set off 92 million Google searches.
1: Even before Sunday, we knew Tebow was big,
2: with fans making customized Jesus jerseys and posting pictures of themselves
1: online Tebowing, imitating Tebow's signature on-field prayer position.
0: And he became a verb to Tebow. It's to get down on your knees and start praying, even if everyone around you is doing something completely different. People have Tebowed at weddings and on mountaintops
1: for me, it wasn't something that started when I got to the NFL. It just became more publicized. It was the exact same routine I had since my sophomore year of high school. I would literally run through the tunnel, run to the sidelines. I would get a three jumps. I would do a couple sprints, two or three sprints. I would throw the football a couple of times. I'd get a couple snaps with my center. I would go to the quietest place I could find on the field. I would get on a knee and and ask God for the grace and the wisdom to be able to handle whatever is asking me in this game with the right attitude, the right perspective and then you know try to go play. And then I would try to do the same thing at the end of the game, you know? And it was the same thing I've done my sophomore year, junior year, senior year of high school and then all four years at Florida and then in the NFL, at the end of the game, was on the side, did it for a few times and whatever they, you know, people took notice. And then all of a sudden, I think it probably gained even more hype when a few uh, opposing players like sacked me and did it on top of me or something. And, you know, it just kind of spread. And and at first, you're, you know, you're not necessarily sure. But then I think I, what I came to the conclusion of when I got so many letters of young people in high school or Pop Warner teams, and they'd say, hey... You know, thank you for doing this. It gave me the courage to take a knee and pray at my game. And and that was really encouraging. And I guess my overall kind of feel about it was just, you know, at least prayer was getting talked about, you know, sometimes good way, sometimes not necessarily the best way of whatever, but at
0: least that was something that was talked about. Tebow's faith informed his words on that fall Saturday in Gainesville.
1: I'm sorry. Um, extremely sorry. You know, we were hoping for an undefeated season. That was my goal. Something the floor never done here. But I promise you one thing. A lot of good will come out of this. You have never seen any player in the entire country play as hard as I will play the rest of the season. And you never see someone push the rest of the team as hard as I will push everybody the rest of the season. And you never see a team play harder than we will the rest of the season. God bless.
2: He lives by that faith. I mean, those are the standards he puts, uh, the characteristics, the stop signs, the go-ahead signs, all of that is very, very important to Tim
0: Tebow. Here's longtime college football announcer, Vern Lundquist. He called games during Tebow's career with the Florida Gators. Florida,
2: Mississippi, 31-30, Ole Miss won. And uh, he did the speech, and the I promise was the very end of it. And he promised that no one would work harder than he. No one would work harder on the team because he was going to lead them. He never guaranteed that they would go on and win every game, but they did. And they won the national championship.
1: I think a better title than the promise is probably the apology. And I think it's important when you're wrong to apologize. And so that's how I started. I said, I'm sorry, I'm extremely sorry. And then I went on to say how I believe I can help change this in a promise that I believe I could fulfill. I knew that we didn't show up and play our best. And I took that really on my shoulders as a leader, that responsibility. And then I I also say one of the bigger things that weighed on me too was being a a lifelong Gator fan. Florida's never had an undefeated season, right? We, We won the title in 96 and then two years before this, we won the title in 06 and thinking, hey, this year we're going to have an undefeated season, something that all of Gator Nation can be proud of and you know, have that undefeated season, and we didn't. And it just was honestly crushing to me. And I remember going back into the locker room and you know, definitely being emotional, but being, I think, a little ashamed, ashamed of, of my performance, but ashamed more so of the leadership, of my leadership. And just remember sitting there with Coach Meyer, talking a little bit about it, and not really saying anything to anybody else except... That I knew in my heart, I wanted to say something.
0: It was faith in the invisible, in the grit and determination of a young man and a team to summon their strength and make it visible. It was
3: transformational and very few people could get away with. You know, the world is full of cynics. I'm actually one, you know, I've heard so much over my career. I mean, easy, easy, you know, pump the brakes before you start because your words are who you are and they should be.
0: This is Urban Meyer, head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and one of the most successful coaches in college football history. From 2005 to 2010, he coached the Florida Gators, where he first got to know player Tim Tebow.
3: And so you just got to be very cautious, and you have to earn that right to be in that position. He obviously did. He followed up. You know his comment about "there'll never be a team work harder, there'll never be a player work harder." You know, think about that. And to this day, someone can say. He was right. He's the most competitive football player I've ever encountered, especially
2: in college ball. Here's Vern Lundquist again. He is the hardest working guy I've ever met. I mean, in indoor time 40s, when they would go inside and run 40s on the basketball floor, if he thought he was going to lose, he would dive on a hardwood floor to get across the finish line first. I've seen him do that. But... He is exactly who he says he is, and exactly the person that he
0: thinks he needs to be. For promises are the stuff of faith. The story of the Bible is about mortals enmeshed by time and chance, seeking to connect with a force larger than themselves. I'm just such a
1: big believer that when you do something wrong, it's important to apologize, and not just to say, oh, I apologize, but to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and then share how you're going to change it, how you're going to fix it, and that is that I was going to be the hardest working player, and that our team was going to be the hardest working team, and I was going to push our team to be the hardest working team, and that you weren't going to see anybody in the country play harder than we were, and that was, you know, really the focus. It was to say, I'm sorry, it was to apologize, and then it was to give a promise that I believe I could keep, and... I didn't know if we were going to win the rest of the games, but I do believe that this was something in my control because it was a choice of my attitude, my effort, my focus, and our team's attitude, effort, and focus. That was something that was in our grasp,
0: and it was a choice of the will. It's difficult to believe that God has a stake in who wins the game. The perennial appeal to sports to believers, though, is undeniable. Part of the reason for this affinity may lie in the sense of drama religion, and sports share. I go do the press conference and I answer
1: all the media's questions, but I knew I wanted to say something that wasn't just a question from one of the media. I wanted to say something from my heart, but I wanted to say it to all of Gator Nation, to my team, to my teammates' families, to all of the people that look up to
0: us and watch us. For athletes, life is to be lived before an audience according to precise rules and prescribed ritual. The Russia performance, especially a victorious performance, is thrilling and transporting in the way religious feeling can be, taking the believer athlete out of the ordinary world to a different, higher plane. I always tell people the
3: messenger is more important than the message. There are certain people, when something comes out of your mouth, you're going to stop and listen, because usually it's a transformational message, and Tim's one of those kind of players. You know, when he speaks, everybody kind of stops. And at that point, he was the Heisman Trophy winner. At that point, he was our hardest working guy. At that point, he earned the respect of our team. He earned the respect of Gator Nation.
0: In the universe of sports, inspirational speeches depend on faith. Not necessarily religious faith, but faith that a team of athletes can come together to overcome circumstance, their opponent, and even time itself. That's also true in politics and in statecraft presidents and prime ministers are called upon to inspire their nations in times of war and upheaval as well as in hours of peace and prosperity you
1: know there's things we could have all done differently but as a leader that's this is my fault the buck stops with me and i have to play better i have to lead better i have to do better i have to be better you know for this team for everybody and i think to publicly take responsibility, to publicly say I'm sorry, and to publicly share how we are going to be different going forward. Hoping that it could be an encouragement to my teammates, to coaches, fans, all of it. But honestly, not really knowing what's going to come from it. I mean, we have no idea. Sometimes you just have a a little bit of a urge on your heart that you believe something's right and you're supposed to do it.
0: Tebow's brief remarks offer us a window on the culture of inspiration, of seeing light in the darkness, of pledging to do better tomorrow.
3: The next morning I woke up and obviously don't sleep well after a loss. I come in the morning early and it's Sunday and I come up and at 7 a.m. a guy named David Nelson is sitting there. And David Nelson was a classic underachiever. He's a guy that had talent, didn't work real hard, was lazy, excuse maker. You know, came from a good family and obviously ended up having a great career. But he came in and I I was on this guy really, really hard. And I come walking up and he's sitting there, tears rolling down his cheek. And I was like, what's your problem? You know, because I was really upset with some of the players, you know, and especially ones weren't contributing. And I said, come in my office. I said, what's your problem? And he said, Coach, Tim's speech got to me. He goes, everything you said to me, I, I have to help this team. I, I'll do anything. I said, you know, David, it's not real hard to say that. It's real hard to do it. David Nelson went on to become one of our most important players that year. He's the guy that when Percy Harvin got hurt near the end of the season, caught a touchdown pass against Alabama in the SEC championship game. He's the guy that caught the final jump pass against Oklahoma in the national championship game because we trusted him that much. And it was because of Tim's words. Tim impacted
0: him. His personal story is mythic, elemental. His mother was advised to seek an abortion early in her pregnancy with Tim. It became part of Tebow lore. Then when he was safely delivered, despite a barely attached placenta, doctors called it a miracle. Like his four siblings, Tebow was homeschooled. No TV until they had memorized scripture. No discussion in their many sports victories unless someone asked about them. Through high school and college, he divided his time between football and ministry. He was so highly recruited in high school, he was the subject of an ESPN documentary called The Chosen One. At Florida, he led students in weekly Bible studies, preached in prisons, schools, and hospitals.
3: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. Sometimes, you know, people like Tim, they make you feel uncomfortable because you self-check. You know, you kind of wake up one day and go, man, I got to do better. And once I got over that, Tim became like a son to me, you know, obviously extremely close. He won over the locker room rather quickly with his work ethic.
0: And after his speech, he led the team to a national championship. He kept his word and he fulfilled his promise. His impromptu speech is now engraved on the wall outside the Gators stadium. A lasting memorial to the fiery testament of a young man who was determined to inspire, to lead, and to win. I think a lot of times as athletes, it's hard
1: to be transparent when it doesn't go well because we feel like we always have to be, we always want to be the best. And I think a lot of times when you're a competitor, you do believe in yourself. And I think that also lends itself to sometimes not wanting to say I'm sorry or I was wrong or I messed up. And I think to be able to, as a team, as individuals, to be able to lead the way we should or could lead, I believe transparency, authenticity, not just in the good times, but in the bad is even more important to be able to share, be authentic about those moments.
0: And that's what sports is largely about. And it's why Hollywood loves locker room moments so much. They're inherently dramatic. Al Pacino in Any Given Sunday, Kyle Chandler in Friday Night Lights, Gene Hackman in Hoosiers. Let's be clear, coaches and players who give inspirational talks aren't Churchill's. They aren't Henry V's calling we few, we happy few, we band of brothers to literal war but sports are a metaphor for life. And the fact that words like Tim Tebow's can make a difference, can bring good out of bad, victory out of defeat, reminds us how fascinating and how human sports can be. I know it sounds cliche
1: about the one team, one heartbeat, one goal, but there's something so special to that, man. When all of us from so many different places and backgrounds, and you get to know one another and you get to form a bond and you get to and I know this sounds cliche but you know it's like tug of war and you're pulling at the same time with everything you have I mean there's just something so special about that when it actually comes together because you do have one goal and that's your sole focus and there really is something special to being able to get to a goal that at times seems so hard right and it seems like there's so much pressure how are we going to do it right But then when you do it and you realize you can do it and that comes to fruition, because you all bought in together, man, it really is special.
0: That's the promise of competition. A promise that's renewed every time the whistle blows or a buzzer sounds. Remember what Tim said. I promise you, a lot of good will come out of this. Or so we always hope and always pray. Next time, on It Was Said Sports.
2: Hank Aaron overcame poverty and racism to become one of the most accomplished baseball players of all time. When I was in the ballpark, he said, I felt like I was surrounded by angels and I had God's hand on my shoulder. By steadily pursuing his calling in the face of unreasoning hatred, Hank Aaron has proven himself a great human being as well as a great
0: athlete. Thank you for listening to It Was Said Sports, a documentary podcast from Shining City Audio, a C-13 Originals and John Meacham Studio. Executive produced and created by John Meacham and Chris Corcoran. Narrated by me, Doc Rivers. Written by John Meacham. Directed by Lloyd Lockridge. Production led by Paige Heimson. Edited and mastered by Chris Basa. Guest booking and coordination by Kelly Rafferty. Additional production support by Bill Schultz, Sean Cherry, Bob Talbador, Ian Mont, and Rich Cook. Creative consultation by Nikki Kovac and David Weisbord. Cover art and graphic designs by Kurt Courtney. Marketing and publicity by Brian Sworth, Maura Corin, Josefina Francis, Lauren Schwartz, and Hilary Schuff. Our theme song is I Can Almost See You by Hammock.